0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Podcast. Watch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11.05 a.m. at GoSBLive.com or visit us in person. You can find directions at GoStonebridge.com. Connect with us on our social media at Facebook.com slash GoStonebridge and our Instagram at SBChurch. All right, so like I told you, we have been in a series talking about the uh, impact of people who followed Jesus and the impact they made after him and it has continued even in our culture. The very first week, if you missed it, uh, we went back to John chapter eight, where Jesus said, uh, if you'll you'll follow me, he's talking to some people who it says, Jews who says believed in him, but they were still trying to decide what they were gonna do. So so if you decide to follow me, and uh, you decide to listen to my commandments and stay with me, he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Yeah, it, it will bring freedom in your life. And we started out by saying, It's not the way most of us, uh, because of the influence of secular culture, understand freedom. It doesn't mean you can do whatever you want to. It means you're set free to be the person that God created you to be and what he wanted you to be. And without Christ, the freedom he brings, you're you're actually not free to do that. You don't have the power uh, to do that. Then we talked about how that leads into identity. Uh, It changes our understanding of who we are because of how we see Jesus, and it certainly has. For 2,000 years, those people who followed, uh, their sense of who they are was very different than before they understood who Jesus was. Then last week, John was up here, and and he was talking about the hope that that brings, because it does. If if everything changes as far as your, your base, your foundation of what you believe about yourself and how you see God then it also translates into the future, what's going on because of him is very different than than if there were no God, right? If if God were not personal, if God did not care, if God did not have plans. And so this week, I want to talk to you uh, about the the idea of morality, or I put in your outline a a new Christian perspective, just to let you know, I didn't want to use that word because it sounds too churchy to me. That's me. Uh, I wanted to call it at one point. Uh, I was listening to Jordan Peterson, if you know who he is, and a psychologist, and he goes through all kinds of things. and I loved a word he used uh, when he was talking about the psyche of a culture of a of a group. Of people. I wanted to call it the the new Christian psyche. and If you know who psyche is or where the word comes from, uh, psyche in Greek mythology was the beautiful princess that Cupid. Or he was actually referred to many times, in in other words, for uh, love, that he wanted to marry. And it's even in the Greek understanding, it's sort of this idea that our desires and who we are and what we want to chase gets married into really our identity and who we are, which is who psyche really represents. And so it's a strange way that they were trying to wrestle with and figure out exactly how that works. And then I came to another title that I didn't get to use. I wanted to call it A New Christian Persuasion. Anybody remember, I think it was Rick James and the Shondells in the late 60s? You remember your your great-grandparents? No, okay. You know, I know you're not old enough to remember them, but they had a song called Crystal Blue Persuasion. Nobody remembers Crystal Blue Persuasion? Okay, good. (laughs) And I... And I thought, oh, and and of course, you know, as I thought about it, I asked people and I said, you know, if I do that, they're going to think I'm old. I am. And they're going to say, what is he talking about? You know, who is, who are those people? What is that song? But it was a really good song that represented how they understood things at the time. And if you go back and you listen to the words or you, you kind of read the verses in there, you will see that they were talking about, it. I think the crystal blue persuasion was actually the ocean is what they were talking about, but we're all gonna fall in love with love and everything's gonna be wonderful. And they had this line about just look deep inside yourself. And you'll find the love and the peace that you're looking for. And then the second verse, they actually use the word, um, maybe a reference to God. I think it probably was because of their backgrounds. He, and, and that's about it, you know, and he's going to bring some kind of peace. I like that. Let me tell you why. Because at the time in our culture, that's how we understood it. That's how we saw it. We thought if you just look deep inside, you'll find God. <laughs> And if you just look deep inside, you'll find truth. And if you just look deep inside, you'll find love and compassion. And during that time, 60s, 70s, 80s, right? A lot of people growing up looked deep inside and they found some evidence of those things, but they also found other things drugs. <laughs> they found hatred, right? They found things that separated us. They found, you know, a deep sense of just lostness. And, and that's the problem. If you think just going inside, there we're going to find everything that we need. Jordan Peterson, a lot of the writers, they love to jump into the idea that uh, kind of confounds secular uh, thinking that every culture just comes to, figures out what is morally right. Well, if you go to those cultures, you can't make that claim, that case. We tend to find what we want to find. We tend to find what, what suits our needs or our perspective or how we want the world to be from our point of view. In fact, I, I played in, pushed in your outline. You could uh, fill in if you want to. I gave you some room to write in there. Um, without a clear objective, mooring or a foundation, you know, mooring would mean something you're attached to and foundation, something you build upon. Um, the morality of a culture is left to, and I thought, what do you think? What, what happens to the morality of a culture. It's left to wonder, right? It's left to drift away. It's it's left to slide. In fact, you know what, what he points out, Peterson points out, and is very true, the morality of a culture tends to always be changing. So what was right, you know, when you were a kid may be wrong now. What was wrong when you were a kid may be considered right now because morality shifts and it moves if there's nothing that, that morality is attached to that you say, but, but here is an objective source to understand what is morally right and what is morally wrong in, in life. So Christianity, those who followed Jesus, they brought something into the culture. They, they were committed to an objective view of morality that came from God himself. And they looked at, it's why the Bible was so important, and it's why the Bible is still so important now, because here's the record of, of those moral laws and those commands. And it, it, in a flawed world, um, and written by and trying to act out by flawed people, but you still see the record of what God required, what he wanted from people who believed him, trusted him, wanted to restore that relationship with him. Remember Moses, you know, he, he he walks the people out of Egypt, right? And one of the things is a, a great nation now that they had never been before that was necessary. He goes up on the mountain. You, you remember Moses, the movie, the all, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, as his, his, he goes on up, and Charlton Heston is really Moses, just to let you know. And so, you know, he goes on up. I know, that's, that's my view. And he, you know, he's up on the mountain, and he comes down with these stone tablets and right, the Monty Python. These 15, these 10, you know, that's, that's their, uh, dropped one of the tablets. He comes up with these 10 laws. It's kind of funny because I was listening to a guy who was talking about, you know, he talks to a lot of people about morality and going to heaven. They said, yeah, but I, and he says, well, so what do you mean you do, you're a good person, you do the right thing? Well, I obey the 10 commandments. He says, I love to do this. I always say, what are they? Anybody ever done that to you? <laughs> what? What are they, the Ten Commandments? They're good rules. They're, you know, okay, okay yeah, but, but can you tell, one time, one time uh, years and years and years ago, I had a, a young man, I was a, a young pastor, and he, he recognized me, he was in high school, and he just walks up to me in a grocery store and says, name the Ten Commandments. I mean, I was like, police, you know, I'm, I'm being accosted, you know. What do you mean, name the Ten Commandments? And just to let you know, I got nine. I, d- I did. I did not get all ten of them. Could you name the ten? First four have to do with our relationship with God. That God is and is funny because if you look in Exodus 20, you will see the Ten Commandments. But this is how it starts. God says, "Listen, because I rescued you." because I, I brought you out of bondage to Egypt and to the Pharaoh. I rescued you from slavery. This is all because God is saying, listen, because of that, what I have done for you, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to live. And there they are, there's some very uh, steadfast rules that he lays them. First four deal with our relationship with God. No other God, right? One God, no other God. No, what's the second one? Kind of goes with that, no idols. No idols, you can't go, carving images and saying, that's God, not, not allowed. That's, that's, that will really mess you up. Then he said, you don't take the name of God and use it for your own purposes. Don't take the, the Lord's name in vain, but it doesn't just mean a cursing. It means you're trying to use God in his name and the influence of that in order to get what you want. That would really mess you up also. Right. And then he says, honor the what Sabbath day and keep it. And, and this was a, this is a point of contention. Uh, even in Jesus' day. And we'll get to that in in just a minute. Because uh, what would happen, as you and I might do, rather than just stick to that, um, they started building more and more ways to describe that. And the biggest part was they said you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. So he started defining what work is. I thought this was interesting. One One of the rules was you could drink milk, but you could never pick up an amount of milk that was more than one swallow on on the Sabbath or you're guilty because that's work. I was like, seriously, you know, are you you that way? You can never take a, a, a spoon or an implement and lift anything on the Sabbath that weighed more than a fig. Anybody know what a fig weighs? I don't know either, but it seems like it's pretty small. And it seems like it would be a really difficult thing. And so they struggle with that, but those were the four related to God. Then there were six that related to uh, people in your relationship with the people. Anybody remember those? The very first one, all parents should love this one. Honor your, yeah, honor your mother and your father. That's right. You should treat them with honor because you came from them. Flawed, yes, but they're the ones that gave you life. They raised you. Then there were these that I always get kind of mixed up and. And they're kind of you know the, the moral laws that many cultures use and try to build upon. But but in this case, uh, the, the Hebrew is very clear about it. You don't lie, right? You don't bear false witness against your neighbor. You don't steal. You don't take from your neighbor. You, it, it, that means you can't cheat him or whatever. You don't kill your neighbor. That's a good one, right? Don't, don't go murder your neighbor. You don't steal your neighbor's husband or your neighbor's wife. Um, and then the, the fifth one was, this is the hard one, um, you don't. Covet what your neighbor has, right? I missed one, didn't I? Anybody remember which one I missed? I, got, I think I got adultery in there. Okay, I'll let y'all. I did that on purpose because I missed one before. So, um, but we're actually going to look at them because Jesus is going to uh, talk about them here too. That covet one, whew, man. So in other words, you mean I can't look around and say, I want their car, I want their house. He says, not, not what you're supposed to do. There's supposed to be a contentment with who you are in your life and how God has, has, has put you in this world, where he's put you in this world. And honestly, for your mental health and for the, for the health of your psyche, right, it's a really good commandment because it's, it's easy to just live your life and just get really frustrated and feel like everybody else has more than I have and you become jealous and you become bitter. In fact, if you go back to the uh, book of Genesis, you know, in the book of Genesis, creation, Adam and Eve created, husband and wife, and immediately, immediately, fourth chapter in Genesis, immediately, Cain and Abel. And what what comes into the picture of the story in Cain and Abel? Cain is jealous of Abel because Abel's sacrifice to God is accepted. His is rejected. He is jealous, so Cain does what people tend to do. You and I tend to do it also. He decides what I need to do is to get rid of what? Able That will fix the problem. So he murders his brother. Now, you may say, well, I, I've never murdered anyone. Great. But have you ever, you know, kind of, kind of put someone with words in a position where you're kind of tearing down their character? Or you're saying, my neighbor, you know, right. Yeah. I, sure, of course. Because we tend to think if we could just get rid of that person, it would elevate my position. He said, eh, really bad idea. Just doesn't work well that way. But humanly, The sin inside of us, this struggle inside of us makes us so that we tend to do that and and we need some objective set of rules or laws. Yes, we do. Rules or laws that just say you can't go there. Just a bad place to go for you and it's a bad place to go for the culture around you. You won't function well um, if you go there. And so there's a reason for the the rules and the laws that, that he, he put into place even even though they were very basic and simple at the time. Um, we're going to talk about one of the groups that struggle with it but here is a story that uh, Jesus tells it's, it's in uh, Matthew chapter number 19 and it says this it says someone came to Jesus with this question Now, this is a time when, when Jesus is near the end of his life and so he's, he's doing a lot of teaching and a lot of speaking and he's trying to help his disciples. I think that's why the story is there, understand what it is that God's looking for. So the, 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 this young man comes to him and says, what good, say it with me, what good deed must I do in order to, to have eternal life? What is it that I'm missing? What is it that I need to do you know, what is the right rules, the right set of things, and if, if I do that, then I get what I'm looking for, and that's that's very human. And Jesus, here's what he says. Why ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And of course, Jesus is referring to God himself, but then he, he changed, he's kinda of set you up with that, and then he says, okay, but answer your question. If you wanna receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked, and Jesus replied, you must not, say it with me, must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must um, not testify falsely, you honor your mother and father. And then he adds in here, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see which one is missing here? Yeah, the covet one is kind of implied, but, but, it, but it's not mentioned. But hang on. Then he says, the young man says, I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do because what he's saying is it, it obviously it's not enough I I, I don't sense that that's going to do what I what I want it to do and Jesus told him if you want to be perfect now this is not the idea that you've never made a mistake this is the idea that you've you're complete You've you've, you've gotten there you've you've arrived and this is this is the idea even when you know when, when the Bible talks about perfect love when when love has has taken you to the place that love is intended to take you. Perfect love casts out what? Yeah, it casts out fear in your life, and it's kind of a marker of this. If you want to be perfect, he says, go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Wow. Remember the covet thing? Because hmm. here's a guy probably like us, very, very cultural. We wanna know this. Is there any way that I can be faithful to God, I can love God, I can be fully devoted to God, and at the same time be fully devoted to me and what I want and my desires and go, is there any way I can do both? Can I have it all? And, and the problem is we live in a world and we live in a world where, yeah, you got to make a living, you're supposed to try to better yourself, There's, there, there are characteristics you're trying to develop, absolutely, but at the same time you recognize that none of those things will get you to a relationship with God, and you want that relationship with God. So one has to take priority over the other. One love has to be greater than the other love, because you, you really cannot pursue both of them one of the motivational speakers when I was young I really liked but I always remember this I always struggle with it and if you know who this person is don't say that loud, because I he's really was really a, a, a great guy but he used to say this he said I realize at some point that I can be a Christian and follow Jesus and be poor or I can be a Christian and follow Jesus and be rich so I decided to be a Christian and follow Jesus and be rich it doesn't work that way <laughs> it doesn't you can't say that for every person, that you get to choose those, the, you get to choose to follow him, but there are a lot of things that go into how you will end up or where you will end up or what you will do as far as the status or your state in this world. And even though I love people who say, "Oh no, you can have it all, you can do it all, you can be anything that you want," you can't. <laughs> it's just not a possibility. There are too many limitations on us. But you do get a chance to choose what will be most important in your life. Every person gets a chance to choose. It might cost you to make that choice, but you get a chance to choose. And no one can make you choose or not choose who God is in a relationship with God. That's how he offers it to us, through Jesus Christ himself. So then he goes on to adds this, because you couldn't just leave it right there, right? He says, but then a young man heard this. He went away very what? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like Cain and his, and his countenance just dropping, oh my goodness. He says, for he had many possessions. Man, I'm, can't, can't we work both of these out? Can I, you know, can I somehow figure out a way? Then Jesus said to his disciples, i tell you the truth, very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about what you have, he's talking about what you love when, he, when he's talking about this. The person who loves the riches of this world, very hard for them then to love God and to look to God and understand him in that way. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel, pretty good illustration, right? Camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished. So, So here's their struggle, just like us. They go, well, then who in the world can be saved? Because, you see, they looked at this young man and said, you don't get any better than this. This, this guy's doing the best he can. They believed he's absolutely sincere about everything he said and everything that he'd done. He had, he had told the truth. If this guy doesn't get in, then who gets in? And Jesus looked at them intently and said, now, this is the key. And if you don't quite get this or understand this, this is the, this is the, the search to try to understand what Jesus is saying. Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, what? Everything is is possible. It does not mean that the guy listened to you, it does not mean everything is possible. Good, I can be a follower and get no. That's not what it means. (laughs) He just means humanly you say I can't get there. You're right. Humanly you can't get there. You can't do enough. You can't win enough. You can't learn enough, you can't grow enough without this one one element that is absolutely key and that is this surrendering to God himself. Giving yourself to God and himself and say, you know what God I can't do it, you have to do it. Your way. You you tell me. Because when Jesus comes in the world Jesus doesn't come for the good people. Jesus doesn't come for the rich people. Jesus doesn't come for the Moral people. Jesus doesn't come for those who, who can check off all the lists that you know we want to check. He comes for who? All people, yes. And he's the only way. Jesus Himself. I listened to a preacher who said, there's only one requirement um, for you to go to heaven, and that is that you're a bad person. Not true. <laughs> What he meant to say, what he was trying to say is there's only one requirement, and that is that you acknowledge, you recognize that by my own efforts, it's not gonna get there. That's what he's talking about. You recognize I can't do it myself. Only if God does it for me could I possibly, uh, possibly make it uh, to, to God himself. So he, he's emphasizing in this that it's based morality in a culture and everything, needs to be based on God and who he is and how he sees things, not based on just us and how we see things, how we want things to be, because uh, that's, that's one of the ways that we get ourselves um, really messed up. I know that a lot of people, and it's, it's one of my favorite things to talk to someone about, they say, yeah, but what if you're sincere? What if you really believe what you believe? Isn't that enough? Okay, so I understand the argument, but here's the problem. If you really believe what you believe and it's wrong, does your believing it make it right? No. It wouldn't make it right, even with this young man. He may say, but I believe this so much that if I, the things that I've done, they should get me there. Is that enough to get you there? The answer is, of course not. Because God is the one who sets the standards, and God is the one who actually rescues us. So we have to look to God and say, God, you show me, as Jesus said, follow me, listen to my teaching, and you will know the what? The truth, and the truth will do what? Yeah, truth will set you free from the things that you follow, and then find out, man, I followed the wrong thing. Um, One of those shows that I liked, um, Seinfeld, anybody like Seinfeld? I didn't start listening to it until it was actually over, it was done. And and they had syndicated it, and by that time a friend of mine who'd always trying to get me to watch Seinfeld because he thought it's such a good uh, parody of what culture struggles with, and all to it, and it, it was. But by that time he was already to Everybody Loves Raymond and trying to talk me into that one. And uh, I d- I listened to part of an episode. I just thought it was mean. I don't know. That's just me, you know. I and uh, then later I watched it, but I thought Seinfeld was excellent at how they picked at things and they looked at things in the culture and they, and they said, here's our struggle. And if you think about it, it's really a foolish thing how we see things and humor makes it easier to deal with because we can, we can sort of laugh at it. So there's this one episode where Jerry is, is attracted to this, this blonde, um, and, uh, and he wants to date her and ends up, she's a detective. Anybody remember this one? So he goes to the precinct um, and he uh, has he, he's talking with her, and there's some things about himself he does not want to admit. You might relate to that. This is how this clip goes. What's that? Polygraph. What you civilians call a lie detector test. Oh, all right, let me ask you now. When someone is lying, is it true that their pants are actually on fire? <laughs> if I could tell you the famous faces that have been up here. Get out a certain cast member of Mauro's Place. Really? Have you ever seen the show? No. <laughs> you can admit it, Jerry. No. It's okay. <laughs> I'd admit it. I don't watch it. Hey, Lou. Maybe we should put him on the poly. The poly? Yeah. I think you've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so, George, how do I beat this lie detector? I'm sorry, Jerry, I can't help you. Come on, you got the gift. You're the only one that can help me. Jerry, I can't. It's like saying to Pavarotti, teach me to sing like you. (laughs) All right, well, I gotta go take this test. I can't believe I'm doing this. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. (laughs) Hey, you know, so that's... You know, that's how we think culturally sometimes. Now, seriously, maybe he could beat the polygraph test if he believed it believably, had no doubt inside of him. Maybe he could beat the polygraph test, but the one thing he can't beat is what? If it's a lie, it's a lie. <laughs> if it's not the truth, it's not the truth. But we struggle with that. Any, incidentally, anybody watch Melrose Place back in the... Okay, you know how to raise your hand, so... I, <laughs> I, I know the name of it I just I just never watched it so I don't I know it's a soap opera and uh, but you know it's 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 one of those things we don't like to admit certain things about ourselves and we don't like to be honest about certain things about ourselves but we have to be if we're not honest about who we are and this is what Christianity or followers brought to the culture there was an honesty about them and there was a humility about them not perfect people plenty of mistakes Christianity many times was taken over and manipulated in order to achieve human goals. But but in the reality of what it was supposed to be, there were men and women who decided, no, that's not what God has called us to. And if my hope is in God himself, in Jesus Christ, I can be humble. I can say the truth about who I am. Even the desires and the struggles that I have that I know don't please God, but I can be honest about those because God sees them. Anyway, he, he deals with them uh, anyway in our lives. So here is um, later, Jesus is, is in the book of Matthew, and uh, this is the last week of his life. And, and he's, um, uh, it says that he is addressing some of his disciples in that last week. And this is what it says as, as he talks to them he says, the, religious, the religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers of God's law. You might not have realized Jesus said this. He actually said that the Pharisees were competent in their, in their teaching. Jesus didn't condemn everything the Pharisees did. In fact, in, in Luke's gospel, there's a, there's a place where it says it was the Pharisees who came and warned Jesus that there are people trying to take his life. There were certain Pharisees, Nicodemus, who actually believed Jesus and sided with Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees, even though they're usually viewed in a negative light and Jesus is very harsh on them, The Pharisees were the religious leaders who tried to keep the law. That was their goal. They came about maybe in the 2nd century B.C. We don't exactly know when they were formed. and and Pharisee comes from a a word that means to separate. Unfortunately, their separation got to the point where they really separated. We don't want anything to do with the culture. We don't want anything to do with, with secular people. We don't want anything to do with people who don't see and interpret the law exactly the way we interpreted it, and that's why Jesus goes after them. But as far as their understanding of God and theology, they were very sound in their understanding. They just weren't very good at living it out or putting it uh, into practice, and this is where he goes after them. So he says, so you listen to them when they teach the law. He says in verse 3, you won't go wrong from following their teachings on Moses, but be careful about, say it with me, about what? Yeah, that means imitating them, living the way they lived. He says, um, they talk a good line, but they don't live it. This is kind of the, uh, the, the, where we get the idea of they didn't practice what they, what? Yeah, exactly, and that was, a, that was their problem. He says, they don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all. Spit and polish veneer. Instead of giving um, you God's law as good food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and won't think of lifting a finger to help you. Do you want to stand out? Step down. Be a servant. If you If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for for plenty. See, there's a struggle for us. You got, on one side, you got people who says, don't know God, don't want to know God, going to live my life anywhere I want to. So, So, you know, we realize, okay, there's a struggle with that. But then there's this other struggle where the Pharisees became such strong, you know, I guess you could say, conservative in a lot of ways, right-wing in a lot of ways, that if you didn't see it their way, they would condemn you just as easily as they would condemn those who had nothing to do with God. And both of those struggles are really based on the same thing, and that is wanting their way. One has a religious base to it. But, they, but just like the secular, wanting it their way. And they believed that they were justified in wanting it their way because they knew the law better than anyone else. They understood it better than anyone else. In fact, Jesus in this same chapter, you could read the whole thing. It's really good. He, he talks about, listen, you guys are so strict about the law, you, you will tithe even your lemon at lunch, Right? So you'll go to lemon, you know, take a lemon to put it in your iced tea, and you'll cut a tenth of it off, and you'll bring it to the temple, you know. He says, you're so strict on the minutia, but you miss the basics. You miss what it's all about. You miss about the connection that it's supposed to bring. And therefore, you miss justice, and you miss mercy, and you miss righteousness the way God has, has planned it out. It was, it was a struggle for them. It's a struggle for us. How do you live in between? How do you live and you don't wanna become religious like the Pharisees where you're the only one that can be right and you defend your way and you condemn everyone who doesn't see it your way, but at the same time, you have to live in a world where people don't necessarily know who God is or sometimes don't even care and you have to live, you have to live in that world. I, uh, I, sit, I told a guy that I was not going to John, that I wasn't gonna use this quote, but this is a Richard Niebuhr, I brought it with me anyway and I asked John uh, Canterbury, who did the prayer, I said, John, who is Richard Niebuhr? Because I knew he'd know. He's very, very well read and very well, I, he said he's a German theologian, very liberal uh, that lived about 100 years ago. Exactly right. But let me, let me read for you what he wrote. He's actually still very popular among liberal theologians. So th- this, is, this is actually what he wrote. He says, ultimately, the problem of church and world involves us in a paradox. Listen to this. Unless the church accommodates itself to the world, it becomes sterile inwardly and outwardly. He's using the word sterile, meaning unable to produce. So if we can't live in the world, we can't reproduce inwardly and we can't reproduce outside, reach people around us. But he says, um, unless it transcends the world, in other words, unless we are different than the world, and we don't live by the same standards and the same rules and the same sense of morality the world lives by, he says it becomes indistinguishable from the world and loses its effectiveness no less surely. Absolutely, he's right. So we're caught in this dilemma, in this, in this struggle in our sense of what we will live morally and what we will understand about God because even the rules must point to who? To God as our rescuer and as our savior. And when we live by that, and there's enough humility in our life, and there's, a, there's enough sense that we realize we are broken people also in need of a savior and a redeemer, then the world doesn't see it, but it will also put us in conflict with those who are like, no, There's there's got to be more rules. How many people, you know, if you were to admit it, just to let you know, I will I'll admit it also. How many people you tend to be rule follower, maybe a little legalist? Uh, Me too. And what I'm pointing out to you is it's not that the listen, the Pharisees in that sense weren't bad people. They knew there was a God and they knew there were rules to it. The struggle that they had was over their control of it. And when Jesus comes, being willing to surrender to the Son of God who comes, who comes In the form of a human being, like the world, he looks like the world. So do I, right? So do you, yeah. So, but they struggled with that part of it, and they even accused Jesus. I don't know if you you know this, but they accused John the Baptist of being a teetotaler. You know, so John the Baptist, you know, he drank no wine. He lived out in the wilderness, and they, and then they would accuse Jesus of being a wine bibber. He's a drunkard. They did. They accused the Pharisees, accused Jesus of being that way. Even though there's never any story or any writing about Jesus being a drunkard. But guess who he would go and associate with it sometimes? Those people. Right. Because he was there to try to reach them. And he does that famous statement to the Pharisees. He says, listen, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's who. It wasn't that the Pharisees were healthy. (laughs) It's just that's how they viewed themselves. We're healthy. You know, we don't need a doctor," he says. "I know that's the problem. That's why you reject me." But he says, "Those who realize they're indeed, they're the ones who have a possibility in their lives of accepting and believing and and trusting uh, me." When Johnny and I were younger, um, we worked downtown um, in Houston and at a church and worked with single adults, and so it, at times we we would invite the teachers and directors and leaders. In, in the single adults to our condo, we had this little condo, second floor, and um, it, for Christmas parties. And so we had this dilemma. Maybe you have this dilemma now. So we we invited for a Christmas party, and you want to wear your nice Christmas fall right sweaters, coat, scarf, all this, and um, but it was 80 degrees outside. So, and want to build a fire in the fireplace? We would build a little fire. In fact, our condo you couldn't put actual wood in there. They had a, big notes, and do not put wood in here because you'll burn the place down. But you could put the little fire logs in there, but they still would generate heat. You pack a little condo, you know, with with 30 or 40 people generating a lot of heat. And so what would we do? You got the air conditioning just blasting at the same time. Is that our, con- is that our contradiction, our struggle, our paradox? Sure it is. We're living in the world. We know how we, we should look, how we should dress and what... But at the same time, we have to function still in the world around us and somehow accommodate that if we're going to share the gospel and and present the gospel and live out the gospel, the the truth, you know, in front of it. And it's difficult to do. And yes, I think it is in some ways, like having a party and everybody's dressed up in winter clothes and sweating. You know, it's it's, it's just a difficult struggle sometimes um, that, that we have uh, in life. Uh, Paul, in this, in this one last passage, he writes to uh, Timothy, and uh, it's in 2 Timothy. And if you don't know who Paul is, Paul was a Pharisee. He was Saul of Tarsus. So he was one of these guys, strict in the law. He, he believed he kept all the law, but when he met Jesus Christ, something changed. He realized what he was missing and there was a compassion and a mercy that all of a sudden came from Paul that was not there before because Paul opposed everyone who did not see everything exactly the way he and all the Pharisees did. And so Paul, as uh, he urges Timothy three, and three on three things. He urges him as a follower of, of God and Jesus Christ. That was the first big thing. He urges him based in light on the coming judgment because they knew there was a time, a day, when Christ would judge the world, so that judgment is coming, and based on the fact that there was an eternal kingdom that was coming, and they wanted to be a part of that and wanted to invite as many people into that kingdom as possible, he, he said some things. Listen to this in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Listen to what he urges them to do preach the word. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether it, the time is favorable or not. Whether it's 80 degrees in the middle of the winter in Houston or, or everything kind of works out the way you thought it was going to work out. He says, catch this, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Verse 3, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome doctrine yeah the, and the, it's literally it's the 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 verse says a time is coming when they will no longer endure sound doctrine i like that because there's a time that the culture around us will no longer put up with sound doctrine we're not going to put up with you saying this is what god says we're not going to put up with you saying that there is a savior rescue for the world and it is jesus christ and they're not going to put up with that there's a time he says coming when they will not put up with that um, sound doctrine. He says, they will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth, and they will chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news, and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that not only do you give us the truth and um, try to make it understandable for us, but, but you struggle with us because you know that we struggle. And it is difficult for us to understand how do we live this out? It's really easy for us to look around and to judge others in order to protect ourselves in order to lift ourselves up but father when we look to you when we look to your son jesus christ all that he did that he was willing to come to this earth put on flesh and blood just like us go through all the same struggles temptations difficulties that we would go through, and yet different than us, Jesus somehow had the strength not to sin, not to fall, not to give in to them. And it wasn't just to protect himself. He he did it so that he could rescue us, offer his life as a sacrifice, as a payment made on our debt so that we really would be free. To be the men and the women, the young boys and girls that you called us to be. As we pray, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, maybe you've just kind of written Christianity off as just another religion, it's just the same, just a bunch of rules, a set of do good and don't do bad, but never realized who Jesus Christ himself was. What a time to say, Lord, thank you for sending me a rescuer, a savior, who would endure all that he endured to prove his love, his compassion, and his power to set me free. Lord Jesus, come live in my life. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the strength to believe. Hang on. to live out the life that you want me to live in Jesus name I pray